Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Therapeutics Thursdays podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down and discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Melanie Smith, and I'm the director of the ASHP section of Ambulatory Care Practitioners. I will be your host today for the ASHP Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. With me is Courtney Wilson, a clinical pharmacy specialist in the Veterans Integrated Pain Management Clinic at the Charles George VA Medical Center in Asheville, North Carolina, as well as an associate professor of clinical education at the UNC Ashleman School of Pharmacy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Courtney. And let's go ahead and get started by talking about today's topic, an introduction to harm reduction strategies. Thanks, Melanie. I appreciate it. So I'd like to spend the next 10 minutes framing our response to the opioid crisis in the context of harm reduction. I direct the substance use disorder elective for the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy, and without fail, every year, the class on harm reduction stirs up the most conversation and prompts the most follow-up emails from students. Some folks are very uncomfortable with the idea of selling syringes while others are advocating that we follow Portugal's lead and legalize all substances. What I've noticed in the five years I've taught this course is that our previous experiences, both personally and professionally, shape how we approach harm reduction. My goal when I'm teaching harm reduction is to present the strategies that we know are supported by the literature to reduce opioid-related deaths and to foster a sense of responsibility as pharmacists to teach patients about the safer use of all medications. So let's start with the definition. Harm reduction is a public health strategy designed to reduce the adverse consequences associated with drug and alcohol use. The concept is rooted in the idea that people will use drugs, and our goal as healthcare providers is to work with these individuals to minimize the harmful effects of drug use and to promote safer use in a compassionate, non-judgmental way. I'd like to address three specific aspects of harm reduction relevant to pharmacists, which include increasing access to syringes for non-medical use, medications for opioid use disorder, and naloxone. If this is an area of interest for you, I encourage you to look at the CDC document from 2018 outlining 10 evidence-based strategies for reducing opioid-related overdose deaths. Useful websites include harmreduction.org and naloxonesaves.org. All right, first step, increasing access to syringes for non-medical use. As of August 2019, 38 states and Washington, D.C. have legalized the operation of syringe service programs, which provide sterile supplies for drug use, basic wound care, naloxone, counseling and support services, condoms, pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, and access to treatment for substance use disorders. We know that participants of a syringe service program are five times more likely to engage in treatment than those who do not utilize these services. 
We also know that in communities where a syringe service program exists, drug use in that community does not go up. There is a 66% decrease in needle stick to law enforcement, 50% decrease in hepatitis C transmission rates, and an 80% decrease in HIV transmission rates. For every $1 spent on a syringe service program, $3 are saved and treatment costs averted. I highly encourage you to engage with a syringe service program in your region if available. Now, community pharmacists are also uniquely positioned to ensure timely access to syringes for non-medical use. As of June of 2017, 22 states and Washington, D.C. allow the sale of syringes without a prescription. The benefits that we outline for syringe service programs may extend to the sale of syringes for non-medical use at the pharmacy itself. Ultimately, our goal is to increase the availability of syringes in our community in order to avoid the health consequences that come with reusing a syringe. I really encourage y'all to understand the laws of your state, to engage with your board of pharmacy, and sell syringes if you're able. If you're not able, or if you choose not to sell, please know where you can send that patient when they ask for a syringe. The North American Syringe Exchange Network has a database of locations nationally. Their website is nasen.org. It's a great resource for you. I also encourage you to consult your state's Department of Health and Human Services, as they often provide locations of syringe services in the state as well. Okay, strategy number two. This evidence-based strategy for harm reduction is increasing access to medications for opioid use disorder. As we know, opioid use disorder is a preventable, chronic, relapsing, treatable brain disease. There is extensive data to support the treatment of opioid use disorder with methadone, buprenorphine-containing medications, and naltrexone. We know that these medications alone reduce morbidity and mortality. Even though the World Health Organization, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, National Institutes of Drug Abuse, and the CDC all recommend medications as the standard of care for the treatment of opioid use disorder, only 18% of patients received treatment with the medication in 2019. The no wrong door approach to treatment of opioid use disorder suggests that we should meet the patient wherever they are to engage them in care, whether this be a primary care visit, a prenatal visit, an emergency room visit, the criminal justice system, a syringe service program, or even a pharmacy. We all know that pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare profession. We should use this positioning to foster treatment of opioid use disorder. Remember, pharmacists are the medication experts on the healthcare team. Across all practice settings, we are the team member best suited to optimize medication management of a disease state that is no different with opioid use disorder. We should be really taking the lead on this. I'd like to specifically highlight the potential for pharmacists in the emergency department. There is a growing call for EDs to treat patients who present with an acute opioid-related overdose with buprenorphine-containing medications, and then provide the continuity of care with the patient's primary care or mental health or a substance use disorder care team following release from the emergency department. This model shows great promise, but it requires significant coordination and education. 
The emergency medicine pharmacist can be a huge asset to implementing this medication-based care process. Another exciting update is the Department of Health and Human Services announcement on January 14th, 2021 to exempt some of the requirements for the DEAX waiver to prescribe buprenorphine-containing medications. So once this is finalized and implemented, it will allow physicians to prescribe buprenorphine-containing medications to up to 30 patients with an opioid use disorder without obtaining the DEAX waiver. Of note, it does not place that 30-patient limit on hospital-based physicians such as emergency medicine physicians, so they're able to prescribe to as many patients as they want without that waiver. So this is a great step towards increasing access to medications for opioid use, use disorder. If you're practicing in the community, be sure to take a look at this because it's going to change how you're seeing prescriptions written for buprenorphine-containing medications. All right, number three. Our third evidence-based strategy is hopefully one that we are all familiar with, and that is increasing access to naloxone. Naloxone is our fast-acting opioid antagonist that can reverse the respiratory depressive effects seen in an opioid-related overdose. All 50 states and Washington, D.C. have a process for pharmacists to increase access to naloxone. The product used most frequently is the Narcan nasal spray. Important counseling points for all of us to know. This product requires one spray in one nostril without priming the device. When administering naloxone in the community, the dose is empiric. You just give enough until the person begins to respond. This may require a second dose. Though it's fast acting, the effects wear off in 60 to 90 minutes. So if the patient used a long acting opioid, they may need a second dose. This is why it is essential that the person always seek medical attention after naloxone administration. It is a possibility that they would have a repeat um, overdose if the naloxone wears off. Importantly, you cannot cause harm to someone if you administer naloxone and they are not experiencing an opioid-related overdose. So if you're unsure, still administer the naloxone. There's great stability data for naloxone at temperature extremes. So still encourage patients to carry naloxone if they are unhoused and they may be exposed to extreme cold or extreme heat. Also, it appears naloxone is still effective potentially even years after the expiration date. So while it's important to have an in-date supply of medications, still encourage patients to use naloxone even if all they have is expired naloxone. All right, so as we wrap up, I wanna leave you with some final thoughts about harm reduction. As we discussed, our goal is to work with those who use drugs to encourage safer use. At times, this means treatment, but at times it means providing the person with the best chance to use safely. Talk to patients about never using alone and carrying naloxone. Talk about tolerance and why it is so important not to return to a level of previous use following a period of non-use when they've lost all their tolerance. Give patients information about using a small test dose first to see how they respond. Many harm reduction organizations and syringe services will provide fentanyl test strips so that people can test their supply 
before they use so they know if, they, if it contains fentanyl. Again, pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare profession, and we pride ourselves on our ability to relate to patients and provide that crucial patient counseling that we know improves outcomes. Let's be sure that we include harm reduction in that conversation. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for all of that information about harm reduction strategies. And I do want to thank you for joining us today on this um, ASHP Therapeutics Thursdays podcast. For our members and those listening to the podcast, if you haven't before, I encourage you to check out the ASHP Ambulatory Care Resource Center. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Ambulatory Care Career Tool, certification resources, rotation guides, guidelines, policies and information on billing and reimbursement, and so much more. Be sure to also become a member of the section of Ambulatory Care Practitioners Connect Community, where you can exchange ideas and ask questions from your peers. Thank you again for tuning in to this session and join us here every Thursday where we will be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.